The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Well, welcome to OPCC and welcome to those of you online. Thank you to Corey and Sean who worked really hard to uh, make this a reality. We had a little bit of glitches and hopefully everything has worked out at this point in time. It's good to be able to look at some people Beyond the lens, you know, I just had to imagine you being beyond the lens, and so I certainly want to continue to imagine those of you who are joining us. I saw, I was kind of watching, we had some people from Arkansas, and some people from Texas who really need to hear about Jesus, <laughs> and uh, then we had some people from uh, uh, Oklahoma, and so it's pretty cool to have people all over, and certainly we've got much of our family um, here in Overland Park uh, that uh, are not able to attend with us. And so uh, we're few in number, man, but it feels like we are packed to me. Uh, so it's good to see you here today. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11, we're going to jump back into our lion series. And, um, and so what we look at, man, is we, we, we come into Hosea chapters 1 through 3. It's all about Hosea and his wife Gomer, which was kind of an object lesson that God was telling a story about how he was interacting with the nation of Israel. And he uses the prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer and her unfaithfulness to show them what they're like. And then we get to chapter 4, and we go through chapter 4 through 10. It's all about the judgment of God. And so some pretty heavy preaching that was going on for me and teaching, and, and that's because what, what uh, um, Hosea was delivering there in that section was the judgment that was going to come upon the nation of Israel because of their unfaithfulness. And uh, so some of that judgment was going to be like, um, you know, right around the corner. Certainly the shame and the guilt they had to start dealing with as they dealt with their sin. And the prophet was being emphatic and how he was communicating that to them. And so there was, there was shame in their hearts from how they had rebelled against God and, and how it was being brought to light what they were doing. And then there was some of it, and so, and so they had to deal with the shame in the immediate, and then right around the corner would be um, the actual fulfillment of, of the prophecy, that they would be um, captured by Assyria, and they would be led into captivity, and they would lose their freedom as a nation. And then some of it is eschatological, meaning that it's way off in the future. And how God is going to fix it. And so there would be some consequences for their sin as a nation. Um, the people, though, were promised that, that God would, would, would spare them. He would, he would work out a way. He would save them. And so when we get to chapters 11 through 12, we kind of start a little bit of that part of the story. God is beginning to make a prophetical uh, statement about he's going to save them. His wrath is not going to annihilate them as a nation. There's still hope. There will still be a remnant. And so that's where we pick up in uh, chapter 11. And it's a beautiful chapter. And I believe that we should read it and we should soak in it. Okay? So like we're, you know, we're dealing with things in our country. It's, it's been amazing. Like 2020, I, don't, I think, is a year uh, that uh, we, we shall not soon forget. It has it sh it shifted us. Uh, there's been a change in how we look at everything. With this pandemic, our, our perception of the government, where our trust level is with the government, um, the angst and the frustration that we have because of some of the things that have been imposed on us. Many people's lives have been ruined financially, and they won't recover from this. 
And, uh, and so, like, we, we've, we've been pinned up for weeks, months, I should say. And then we have this, you know, we look, you, you watch the media, and you see the, you, you see people, for lack of better terms, people who are conservative, people who are liberal, um, in their social uh, policies and their and and the way they view how America should function, and we're split, man. And so you got uh, the two main parties are Republicans and Democrats, and they're angry. Um, like. Like people are just talking past each other. And so people are, you know, mad and angry, and they, they just they say vindictive and mean things. Our country hasn't always been that way. It's always been, um, you know, for a long time, it's been a two-party system. But, and there were differences of, of beliefs and opinions, but there was civility. And there's no civility today. Uh, and then you take this, this incident with this, this man, George Floyd, and this police officer, and the video, and here he's, he's gone, man. And we look at him and we go, the people are angry. So we got riots, man. We got riots in Kansas City. We got riots in all over the country. And people are like, like it's not a protest. A protest would be a good thing. But it's like just destructive, sinful, broken behavior. And, and it's, not, it's not producing anything. It's, again, it just shows how far gone our, our, our culture is and people are. Is that, and I understand being upset. Like it's upsetting to me to see it happen. But, but the response, like if we're, if we're just talking past each other. And so instead of protesting and really... Trying to take advantage of a moment and put it on the forefront of our minds, where we as Americans, it's, it's it's really ironic to me that we're so unified for a moment in how we would approach this virus, this pandemic, and then this happens right at the opening up of the country, and now, like, because of all of the violence, it's like the the enemy's just sort of twisted things. And he's got us talking past each other. And instead of being a protest where we could have taken that unity and gotten behind it and really brought about some, uh, some, some reform to the system, it's just people fighting. Um, and, and once again, talking past each other. Uh, it breaks my heart to watch the video and go, man, what, what was a police officer thinking, you know? And I'm going to render judgment on whether or not he killed the guy or not. But what I can see clearly is he had a guy he was standing on top of that was crying out for help. His head was literally three feet away from the other guy's head. And he couldn't recognize there was a situation going on here. And we look at that and we go, man, how could he? How could he be that way? <laughs> and I would say, man, how could we be the way that we are? How could we be so close to each other? And rather than being able to talk to each other and some of these things that have divided our country, we just talk past each other. And I think that even in um, this experience, we see uh, it displayed in, in the most, most you know, radical way 
of a divide that is in our country and, and the lack of a, our inability to communicate with each other. And so I say, what are you saying all that for? Well, I'm saying all that for one reason is because that's what we're living in, man. That's the week. And I'm looking at that and trying to make sense of it and go, what do I do? Like, what do I do? I get on Facebook and make a rant and just say what I want to say. And it's amazing. Like, I've got friends they're posting on Facebook and they say, make this political statement. And, and they, again, they think they're doing the right thing. But it just feels like, man, all you're doing is trying to shame somebody who doesn't think like you. You're not engaging in what will really bring about hope and really bring about transformation. It's not going to be about rhetoric. It's going to be about who we are as people on the inside. And that's why Hosea chapter 11 is so important, is that we see a picture of God. And when all of his wrath should have been on display, when the consequences that should have been rendered to the nation of Israel is that they should never have been able to have any hope that they would ever be restored as a nation. They should never have had any hope that they could even be in relationship with the God of the universe. They should have had his wrath completely poured out upon them and destroyed them. And that's not what happens. And so we, as we read through it, I want you to look for that and look, look for how God, how he communicates to the nation of Israel and indirectly through his word he's communicating to us and we make applications and he says when Israel was a child I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son but the more I called Israel the further they went from me they sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images it was I who taught Ephraim to walk taking them by the arms but they did not realize it was I who healed them I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to, free and to, to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. Now listen to this. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the king. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. That's a very powerful passage of Scripture that gives us the heart of God and and, and the one thing that we have to understand is he says, man, I won't bring out my wrath. Like, what he's saying is, like, you can look at this and you can draw a logical conclusion. And as a man, what you would do is you would render judgment and retaliation and pour your wrath out upon the situation. 
But he says, I'm not a man. <laughs> Thank God that he is God and not man. Um, and he is patient with us. And he says, I don't act like you. Now, she said, well, how do we apply that? Well, in the New Testament, and I'm going to give you some takeaways from this passage, but in the New Testament, the whole point of salvation is that God comes into us and he changes us into the same thing as himself, not as the divine being, but in his character. So he makes us into the kind of people that we don't act like men, we act like God. And that's not what's happening in the world today. And that's why we have a problem. And so we won't fix it with um, riots. We won't fix it with Washington. The only way we will fix it is when we, we each individually go to work on our hearts. And there's a riot from within, a protest that rebels against the sinful nature and allows the divine nature to be resurrected in us. We die to ourselves so that Jesus might live on, in us and we begin treating our fellow men like God instead of men treat men. And so as we take look at the takeaways, man, there, there's, there are four here in this passage that I want to share with you, and, and hopefully they will be an encouragement to you. They certainly have been to me, but it's, it's a way that we can look and we go, man, this is how God interacts with us and how we need to respond and what we need to be aware of. And the first one is this, the lion, he leads and he feeds. Like he always he leads and he feeds. So verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4, we see, he says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Um, in verse 3, he says, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. In verse 4, he says, uh, I led them with cords of human kindness. Uh, it reminds me that cords of human kindness, <laughs> it reminds me of a parent who has a, their kid on a leash. You know, you see them at the park. And they're running around. They don't get too far, but they got some freedom. And they're being led and protected. And, and, and what the Lord is, is saying is he's saying, man, he loves us before we realize it, and he uses a metaphor for, for a father and a son. Now, this was foreign to Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus, he started to talk about this, but at this point in time, they did not think of God as a father. Um, that was kind of a foreign thought for them. That's why they were so freaked out when Jesus started saying that God was his father. And so here, though, we see it is that he's, he's, he's saying to them that he views them as a father views a son. And, and so um, we have a lot of new babies at OPCC. While we've been away, man, we've grown. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I mean, we've grown. We've got people that uh, have, have connected with us through uh, social media and, and are excited to be a part of us. Our, our financial giving has grown. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. I'm kind of scared to meet again because we're growing so much. Uh, and, and we've had, I don't know how many babies we've had, but we have several more on the way. I think there are three that have hit the ground the last six weeks, right? And so uh, here's the deal to all you new parents. Um, several of you I know are watching online. It's fun to teach your kids to walk, especially number one, okay? Uh, it's fun. And you think in your mind, boy, I got to get this kid. I'm going to teach him how to walk as soon as he got, starts getting a little mobile. And you think in your mind that, man, I'm going to teach this kid how to walk because if he learns to walk earlier, that means he's smarter. Well, I just remind you, a horse hits the ground and is walking in five minutes, Okay? And so it doesn't have anything to do with your kid's intelligence. But it is fun as a parent. Um, so here's what I would ask you. Do you remember when your parents taught you how to walk? Like, do you remember when they taught you, like they taught you how to eat? They wiped your rear? <laughs> you don't remember any of that. That's what God is saying. 
Like before they could walk or anything, I taught them how to walk. He, he's talking about his, 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 his sovereign love over them, and he's moving in their midst. He's chosen them. He says, I chose you before you even realized it. And God says that he teaches those he chooses. He teaches them how to walk. He holds them. He heals us. Heals us. He leads us with cords of kindness. And we don't even realize it. So the first thing that I think is a good takeaway for us to understand is to look back and go, man, God was leading me and feeding me the whole time. Now, before a person comes to a spiritual awakening, or what we might describe in the New Testament as being born again, you don't realize it still. You don't realize that God is the one who was teaching you how to walk. You have not come to a, an acknowledgement in repentance of your sin. Therefore, you don't realize God is the one who has been taking care of you all along. And some people will die in their sin and never realize it. And the beauty of being born again is you come to an awakening and you go, oh, the Lord, he has been holding my hand all my life. I can look back and realize before I even acknowledged him, he was there. He was there in the midst of it. Even in my sin and rebellion, I can see where God was pr protecting me from things. And so a person who has never acknowledged their sin is a person who has never come to a realization that God is the parent of them. He is the creator of the universe. And they're never born and become alive spiritually, and so they can't recognize that. However, a person who is awakened can look back at that, and what happens is you see it, and when you see it, and you're able to see it, man, it causes rejoicing in your heart, because as you look at it, you know that you don't deserve it. I'm reminded of growing up and, and uh, uh, being a teenager, and, and I, I, man, I, I did things in my, uh, from 15 to 22 that, that I look back on, and, and, and at 22, man, when I came to my senses, it broke my heart as I realized how the pain I'd put my parents through. Um, I, the way that I had treated them and with the disrespect that I had for them. And I, I never, like, um, didn't love my parents. I just, I just, I made decisions that I know caused pain in their lives because I was, I was thinking of only about me. And um, I, I rebelled and, and sort of pushed them away. And then I got into my early 20s and the Lord started working in my life. And as I submitted to him, I recognized um, one, how I had been treating him, and two, I had been treating my parents. And I realized, man, my parents are golden. They took care of me. They, and so my parents moved from this place of where I thought they were trying to control me to becoming my best friends. I mean, my dad, he, he literally was my best friend. And I didn't realize it until he died, and I was mourning. And I couldn't figure out why I was mourning so bad, and it was taking me so long until I discovered that I had spent all of my free time with my dad. Like, he was my best friend. I went camping with him. I did everything with him because I was in the ministry, and it was just somebody I'd fostered a relationship with that, that uh, it was just, you know, easy to be me. I mean, he was my dad. He was my friend. And, and so I say all that to say, what, a, what an incredible experience that shifted for me when I realized my dad was my friend. My mom was my friend. They cared for me. And, and so I had, I had been cheapened for several years. I had, I had, the devil had stolen from me even that relationship. And that's what happened for me with the Lord. And that's what you're missing out on if you don't come to a place where you acknowledge that, that Jesus is God. And you're born again, man. Then what happens is he becomes your heavenly father. That's why he says when you pray, pray like this, our father. 
Like we are adopted as sons. And so we look at all of this and we see that the first takeaway is, man, the Lord leads and feeds and it creates hope in our hearts and, and joy in our souls. Here's the second one. We are our own worst enemy. We are our own worst enemy. Verse 2 says, the more God called, the faster they ran. Verse 5 said, our refusal to acknowledge with repentance led them back into bondage. And he uses Egypt as an illustration. Verse 7 says, they are determined to turn. I'm reminded of the uh, song, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every blessing. Um, One of the verses says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it from my courts above. And, and what, what, the, what the writer of the song is saying is he's recognizing in his DNA, in his humanity, in his flesh, he is prone, if he's left to that, he is prone to wander away from God. And he's saying, protect me from myself, Lord. And, and I think that's a powerful thing for us to know about ourselves is that we are prone to wonder from God. Even after we've had a spiritual awakening, we are prone to wonder from him. How do I know, for, know that? And, and the boys can testify about this. I, I've been working my boys quite a bit this, this week. It's been good for them. Amen, boys? Amen. Wake up, Joel. All right. Uh, but yesterday we were dry, yesterday or the day before, I can't remember, we were driving down 151st, and a guy cut me off. He didn't cut me off. He was just going too slow, man. And I was like, come on. And I was like, what? And then he slowed down, and he, he just wasn't driving very intelligent. Reminded me of Shay. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, he, and so he's just like, you know how you get frustrated. And, and so I said, a moron, come on. Well, why would I call the guy a moron? Because I'm prone to wander. Like, Lord, I feel it. And I, I confessed even vocally. I was like, I'm sorry, Lord. I shouldn't say that about that guy. You see, when we look at, at all of the problems that are happening in our society, it is just that out of control with no discipline. It is that without the power of the Holy Spirit and the lordship of Christ falling on it and keeping that person walking in a place where you're treating people like God treats us, not treating them like we want to treat them. And that's what makes a better society. And that's why America used to be such an incredible place. Because the blessing of God could fall on it because people were acting like God. Now people are just going after their own way and they're acting like themselves. And they're going after what they want. And they live with a motto of you better go for yours because I'm going to get mine. Like, and, and, and that's not the way of the Lord. And so when we look at this, we realize we are our own worst enemy. And so what will keep us from being in relationship with God is that proneness to wander away from him. And so here's, we, we think of what's our response? What should our response be if this is the way we are? Well, the third takeaway is the lion's compassion is easily aroused. This is good news, man. This is the gospel. Verse 8, um, B and 9 says, my compassion is aroused. He says, my heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. You see, as he says, I'm, I'm God and not man, what, what I take away from that is it doesn't take much from us to arouse the lion's compassion. He is compassionate. Like he, that's just his nature and his character. And so when, when we are, are turning toward him and we, we learn the secret of repentance, um, like even in that moment after we become children of his, when we recognize sin in our lives and we repent, 
like his compassion is easily aroused. He's waiting on us. And so even for the person who's never met him and they bear the weight of all their sin, I'm reminded how Jesus, or the word says here, it was I who um, bent down, I lifted. Listen to what he says in verse 4. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. What is it? Like, what is that yoke for us? It's your sin. Like, you carry the weight of your sin around. And when you repent and believe in Jesus, he comes down and he lifts the yoke off of you. He says, let's get that off of you. Let me feed you with truth. And that's why I'm always like pushing and, 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 and challenging you to be in the word is because that's how he feeds us with his truth. And then it starts to um, flow over our lives and we respond to it with more and more repentance. And that thereby brings more and more freedom in our lives till we are able just to recognize the sin in our lives when we're rebelling and not acting like God. And, and we confess, man, and the Lord just continues to feed and roll truth into our lives and more and more freedom comes. And so what, what um, we look at this, it doesn't, make, it doesn't take much to arouse God's compassion. Uh, Israel had no claim on God. That's, that's the whole point of the passage here. What did they do? Like what did they do to get God's love? He loved them because he loved them. He chose Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham. Then he chose Joseph to be one of the descendants of Isaac uh, or Jacob. And, and then uh, he, he chose each of the, the 12 tribes. Then he chooses Moses. He chose David. He, he chooses all throughout the history of the Bible. And, and what do we know? He chose you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he chose you. So it is just God's nature to love. He loved them because he loved them. And so you you don't have any, like I look at my relationship with God, and and sometimes people will, man, they'll hear me teaching, and they'll go, man, you're such an inspiration. Why? Like I didn't do anything. Like I'm just following the Lord. There's nothing good in me outside of Jesus Christ. He chose me. He just loved me. Why did he love me? Did he love me because I decided to give my life to ministry? No, I decided to give my life to ministry after I figured out he loved me. He loved me before that. He chose me before the foundation of the world. Uh, the, 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 The word says that he knows us even when he creates us in the womb. He is the author and creator of the soul. And so he just loves me and he just loves you. And so what do we do? Our response should be to walk in humility and obedience to his adoption of us as sons and daughters of God. That's what we do. So we look and we go, man, I, how can I humble myself before this God of the universe? And that's why there's so much problem in the culture today is people won't humble themselves. And that may be the problem in your life even this morning as you haven't come to a place of humility and acknowledgement that he is God. You are man and you need to bow before him, receive his forgiveness, and confess your sins. And then we get to the final takeaway, and that is um, fear the lion. Verse 11 says, um, they will come trembling Like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria, I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. And so they will will come trembling and I will settle them in their homes. That's a healthy fear of God, okay? And so when I put that together, I say healthy fear equals happy home, a spiritual home. Like when we have a healthy fear of God, just like our kids should have a healthy fear of their parents, it doesn't mean that we walk around, we're terrified of God in the sense that, that we, we, he's, he's like someone we can't go talk to. It's just that I, I have a healthy fear of him that if I'm walking in rebellion, that he will render judgment upon my life. 
That's a healthy fear. And that brings a happy home is what he says. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Um, Hosea delivered this word, and it was a hard word, and he probably didn't understand how God, like, God has taken him, if you look all the way up through these first 10 chapters, and he's used him to say, man, this is going to be bad what God's about to do. Now, the test of a prophet was when God said that he was going to do something, and, and, and the prophet said it, the way you knew you could trust the prophet is that it actually came to pass. And so, Hosea's delivering all this, this, this doom and gloom, man, about what's coming to Israel. And as he does, he... He's probably wondering when God says, I'm not going to bring my wrath and destroy you completely. He's probably thinking, how is this going to happen? And, and for Hosea's part, he probably never got the answer because that part didn't happen in his life. That was the eschatological part, meaning it was coming at the end. It was coming later. It was a, it was a, it was a forecast, just like we have in every book of the Bible, of the coming of Christ. This, this book is all about Jesus and I'm reminded of John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, specifically, when he says, um, they will come trembling when I roar. They will come trembling, and I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Look at this, um, four verses out of John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. He says, you know the place. And, and as we wrap this thing up, um, Thomas responds. He says, we don't know the way, Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? It's like, J Jesus says, man, I'm going. And he's got in his mind, man, he's leaving, he's going somewhere, and he expects us to be able to find it. J Jesus, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus responds, and he says to, to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He says, I'm the way. And as he responds and says, I'm the way, what we, what we realize is, um, is that a healthy fear of the lion keeps us feeling spiritually, feeling at home spiritually, and so we have to step into that. We step into that and we walk it out and we go, man, um, like, the Lord leads and feeds me. I, I'm my own worst enemy, and i got to be aware of that. He, he, his compassion is easily aroused, and all I have to do is just walk in a, in a mind of humility and obedience and repent of my sin and have a healthy fear of him. And, and what happens is when the, when the lion roars, and that's what this series has all been about, is like we can hear the lion roaring in this clearly to the world, not to, just to believers. When the lion roars, we have to learn to flee to him, not from him. And if we're walking with him, <laughs> it's easy to do, man. It's, it's easy to do. And so this is the good news of the gospel is that we can run to God. Like kids run to their parents we run to the lion every day. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. When I was a kid, man, my, my dad, he was a blue-collar worker, worked at a Rainbow Bakery um, and for 40-something years, like from the time he was 18 till the time he was 60-something. And I can remember even as a small kid, man, he would get home at odd times in the day. And when he got home, man, I would run outside, and he would have his lunchbox and I would always get his lunchbox because, for two reasons. Um, one, I, I just wanted to greet my dad. And two, uh, a lot of times they would have like s some, uh, he would get like Twinkies and Hostess stuff type stuff. 
you know, open that lunchbox. I can still smell that lunchbox when you open it today. Like in my mind, I can smell it. And so I run to greet my dad. Um, and kids do that, especially if, they, if your if parents have been away a while. And they run to greet them. So excited to see him. That's what we do with the Lord, man. We just run to him. We don't run from him. That's his heart. And so uh, the lion's love is unquenchable. Like it's, that's what this story is teaching us, is it's unquenchable. And so we run to him because he is the way. Now, I want to close with this hymn. I'm not going to sing it, okay? It's an old song, um, and it was one of my father-in-law's favorites. I've been used to sing it a lot. And it, it, it goes like this. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall evermore endure the saints and angels' songs. Like what, what's the answer for the, the, the world's problems? It's Jesus. Like it's, it, and it's not... Just saying it's Jesus, it's each of us daily recognizing that in our lives so that the love of God pours out in our hearts as we receive the love of God, we, we start to give the love of God. And instead of talking past each other, we start talking to each other. Instead of starting wanting to have my own rights, I start thinking about what is right. I start thinking about, man, how can I die to myself in the, all of these moments in order to advance the kingdom of the Lord. And, and so, like, that's the problem of the culture, man, is we're just, there's too many people saying they know Jesus and they don't know the first thing about him. Don't know the first thing about him. And when we really recognize that and bow down in humility and people really get a hold of the Lord and it brings about transformation, it'll spread like wildfire and our culture will shift. If it doesn't, I'm no prophet, but I believe this just based upon my historical or my knowledge of the word and how the Lord has interacted. If revival doesn't spread, I don't think there's any hope for this country. It's going to implode. Because everyone does. Every country does. And so, like, for the love of God and country, die to yourself and follow Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow in a spirit of prayer and just answer, what is the Lord asking of you today? What is his desire for your heart? Where do you need to be humble? Where do you need to be obedient? If, you're, if you are, you know, here sitting, like, where does the Lord want you to be humble and, and obedient? If you're, if you're sitting at home, like where does the Lord want you to be humble and obedient and step forward in repentance and what he's asking for. It could be your life, and it could be just specifically something you're holding on to. 
that it's time to experience some freedom and run to him and quit being determined to run away from him and let the love of God impact you and bring transformation in your life. So as you remain in the spirit of prayer, I want to say this. Decisions are no good without proclamations. Like what good does it do to make a decision about something if you're not willing to proclaim it? To proclaim that you've made a decision and surrendered something to the Lord. And so... I would encourage you in this moment, whether watching online, um, you're here, uh, to emphatically make a statement about the decision that you're making. You could do that. Those of you who are here physically, you can tell me on your way out, okay? Uh, those of you who are online, you can simply go, hey, here, here's, here's a button right here. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to connect. I'm going to send an email. I'm making a decision. I want to communicate to the pastoral staff at OPCC. Uh, another way is just tell the people you're with, tell the people you're watching with online, tell the people you came with today. Just make a statement because that brings about um, movement in the whole process. And so just, uh, just, just think about that. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray over the offering as well. And we're not going to pass the plate. Uh, just for social distancing reasons, but it's at the back, and so you could put it in. Uh, there's a plate on the way out the door. You can, if you want to give today, you can drop it in the offering, and, and those of you online certainly can give online as well. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you to be able to meet together. We're part of the family, <laughs> and we're looking forward to um, the 21st, Lord, where we can get back together, all of us. And, and we pray today, Lord. We pray for our country. Lord, we, we recognize that it is a mess. And, and so we pray for it. And we pray starting, first of all, with each of us as your people, Lord, that we would surrender. We would really ask the question, are we part of the problem because our hearts don't belong to you or because we're not listening to you? And then beyond that, Lord, the, the, the people, the many problems that our culture faces, the divide politically, um, that we have, Lord, that, that people would yield to you and start treating each other uh, like you treat us instead of like man functions. And we pray, Lord, that as a ministry, you would raise us up to bring about transformation to this culture and advance the mission that you've called us to in the kingdom. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.